there's another another great stat going around here where uh, Dennis Allen has kicked more field goals on fourth and short inside opposing territory while leading than Sean Payton did in the last three years put together. Um, he does not have that dog in him. I mean, that, yeah. that's not who he is. You know, he is coaching scared and coaching and coaching not to lose rather than going for the win. And his record reflects that, you know, he has lost 37 of the 49 games that he has coached in the NFL. And it's because that is his philosophy and that is his approach to this, to these situations. Dennis Allen and the saints were certainly complicit in what was an epic collapse in the fourth quarter. Tom Brady and the Bucks effectively ending the Saints season. I know they're still mathematically alive. We'll be breaking it all down here coming up next and also some things Saints fans can actually look forward to after the bye week. But first and foremost, it's the Saints Wire podcast. Welcome in and thanks for joining us. I'm Ryan O'Leary, joined as always by my friend, John Sigler. John is the managing editor of USA Today's Saints Wire, of course. And John, man, besides what the Saints are doing to you on a weekly basis, how are things going? Oh, man, I, you know what? Coming off of a, a little bit of a cold here, this, you know, this time of the year, you know how it is. But uh, we're just trying to make the best of it. You know, the Saints season has not quite gone as planned, but <clears throat> we still have plenty, plenty of uh, games ahead of us, uh, pl- plenty to talk about, and um, I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, let's let's start with uh, what happened at the end of that ball game against the Bucks on Monday night. Now, I was thinking about you, John, because I know I know how upset you were when the Rams blew that late lead against the oh, Bucks gosh. and Brady. So I was really thinking about you Monday night. I'm like. Oh no! Oh no! How is John doing after this game? Right, because I, I, the Saints were. It, we we kind of talked about it on this show when the Rams blew that game against the Bucks earlier on. We said, "Man, the Rams were really complicit." And you know, Brady's great, but the Rams were complicit. The Saints were complicit too, right? You wrote about it on Saints Wire, just like situation, situational play, some head scratching stuff, really poor time management, management, which I want to get into. Some really. Uh, poor penalties some of them could have been avoided right like the too many men on the field penalty they had on offense like all this stuff we've been talking about it week after week after week right it all kind of came crashing down at the Saints at the uh at the worst time right at the end to help Brady and the Bucks come back uh but man I I have to check on you right I I was so worried about you because the Saints did what the Rams did and I know you were so upset when the when it happened to the Rams so you can't be happy with what happened to the Saints (laughs) <laughs> no, no, they, uh, you know, the Saints hit him with the uh, the Raheem Morris special. Um, they they, they just uh, failed to compete on defense in, the, in those final minutes, and it really came back to bite them. Uh, th- this uh, brings me a lot of pain personally to say, but there's this great stat floating around. This was the largest fourth quarter comeback uh, that, that that Tom Brady has overcame this late in a in in regulation since he came back against the Falcons in the Super Bowl yeah. a couple wow. of years ago. Um, <laughs> Ouch! It, it, it hurts. It sucks, man. Um, you know that—that's what Dennis Allen said after the game. He said it, it sucks. It stings. It hurts. Uh, and and I agree with him on this. Um, <clears throat> that you know the, the Saints' offense could not get it done uh, late in the game. They were throwing when they shouldn't have. They were throwing to players that they shouldn't have. Um, Dennis Allen was not managing it effectively. Uh, he, he finished the game with a timeout still in his pocket, and uh, it, it was—it just it did not go according to plan. Uh, they they made some pretty poor decisions and playing poor situational football, and it really came back to bite them. Yeah, I think that's the of all the stuff that happened. I thought the thing that stuck with me most uh, when you're analyzing the Saints is just that they had these two drives, uh, John, in the fourth quarter where they just weren't able to run any clock. Right with when you're when you're up sixteen to three, 
with what 654 left you have the ball up 16 to 3 first down like your job right there is to move the football and run as much clock as you can so Brady doesn't have enough time to get two touchdowns and yeah. it was just really frustrating that their first drive which was the Mark Ingram one which I want to talk about Mark Ingram the one where Mark Ingram ran out of bounds a yard short hurt his knee whatever on second and eight so now it's third and one but the Saints pass it on third and one incomplete punt only a minute 33 off the clock the Bucks get the ball back and score then the Saints get it again, and they have the drive that lasts only, what, what like 30 seconds because the Bucks use some timeouts. Dalton gets sacked. They chuck the ball to Taysom Hill. Should have been complete, right? It was really close, but the ball got jarred loose, whatever. Only 30 seconds off the clock. So two drives where your only real job as an offense is to run clock and hopefully get a couple first downs, and the game is literally over. It's not even about points, right? You just got to run clock, and it's over. And they yeah. were only able to run, what, like barely two minutes off the clock. Those two drives combined, John. I mean, then you look at it, and the Bucks needed every single second, right? They scored on like literally three seconds left in the game. So that is the, the thing that has stuck with me. The Saints had these two drives, and they couldn't run the clock. And as you said, they're throwing incomplete passes. <laughs> they're not like they're not just committing to running the ball and making the Bucks call timeouts. It was just, you're watching that game. I don't know how fa- Saints fans couldn't be watching that game just like in disbelief. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was a hard watch. It, it, it was rough, and um, it, it's it's like watching a train wreck, and there's just nothing you can do about it. And you you see it coming, you see how that how this is going to play out, and you're just powerless to do anything about it. And that that's so frustrating because there are people there are people who could have done something about it, like Dennis Allen, like choosing not to punt, to kick and punt the ball away uh, so many times inside uh, Tampa Bay territory. He kicked two field goals from inside thirty yards. He he's Punting from the forty-five from the Tampa forty-five yard line on fourth and short, um, just kind of proving that he's what we've been saying. He is the least aggressive head coach in the NFL, and he's making poor decisions on short yardage. There's another another great stat going around here where uh, Dennis Allen has kicked more field goals on fourth and short inside opposing territory while leading than Sean Payton did in the last three years put together. Um, <laughs> He does not have that dog in him. I mean, that, yeah. that's not who he is. You know, he is coaching scared and coaching and coaching not to lose rather than going for the win. And his record re- reflects that. You know, he has lost 37 of the 49 games that he has coached in the NFL. And it's because that is his philosophy and that is his approach to this to these situations. And it's not a winning formula. And it has not went won for the Saints this year. And it's not going to moving forward. Like the sooner that the Saints acknowledge that and take action to go in a different direction, I think the better off they'll be. I still kind of question how much how much of an appetite they have for that and whether or not they're ultimately going to look at this year, give them a mulligan for all the injuries, and, well, it was his first year on the job and all this, and, and run it back next season. Yeah, I mean, you had a great stat on Saints Wire, John, where you, you say uh, DA, is he's lost 37 of his 49 games as a head coach, and that's a uh, percentage. I'm not great at math, but it, you did it for us. Winning percentage of 0.245, percent. Uh, so, yeah. and then and you you actually provide context with other. Co- he ranks second to last in winning percentage out of uh, what? There are seventeen different coaches who have worked forty eight to fifty games in the league. So Allen ranks in the second to last in that group. Ouch! Yeah. Right, the stats are yeah. not on his side. Yeah. yeah, not at all. Let's circle it's back to. Him and, uh... Tim and um, Todd Marinelli, oh, or good. Rod Marinelli. Oh yeah, me. yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's... That, that's the kind of company that the Saints are in now. Not great, not great. Let's circle back to Mark Ingram, <laughs> right? Mark Ingram. So uh, we learned from Dennis yeah. Allen that Mark Ingram actually injures his knee as he's heading out of bounds, right near the first down marker, 
uh, I thought it was a first down in real, you know, real time watching it. It, it felt like a first down, but then the, all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, it's third and short now. Um, now Ingram says he is, you know, Ingram's basically sick over this play, right? He actually issued a public apology uh, for this play. I, I don't know. Yeah. John, it sounds like now he's out for the rest of the year, right? This was actually a real knee injury that may, so maybe he's heading to the sideline in that moment. And instead of extending for the uh, first down, John, or, or making sure he gets it, he feels this pop at his knee and he just like, maybe that takes him over in the moment. I could totally see that happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm not going to nag yeah, a guy yeah, for making a decision there, <laughs> there, you know, you know, it, these things happen and it sucks. It sucks for him uh, and it sucks for fans and then the ultimate result. But, you know, also at the end of the day, he should not have been in there. Like you have a healthy Alvin Kamara on the sideline. You have Taysom Hill just standing on the sideline. Both of those guys watching this play happen. So just for some added context here, Ingram was limited uh, with a knee injury in practice early this season. He missed three games with an MCL sprain. Uh, this was his second game back from that injury. And now he has an MCL tear and he's, he's, looking at a four to six week recovery, he's probably done for this season now. And the Saints coaching staff and the medical staff saw him get banged up on the play early on the drive before this one. And they knew he had this injury history with that knee. And they said, no, you're going, you're going back out there. Um, we're we're going to keep Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill out of the game right now. And we're, we're going to trust you to close it out. And even knowing that you have a bum knee and they kind of got what they deserved for, for doing that. You know, they put a player in harm's way and he, Worsened, it worsened his injury, and it lost him the football game. And again, to me, this comes back on personnel decisions and a bad call by Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael and the Saints medical staff. You know, that they should not have cleared him to go back in there, but they did that anyway, and this is what they got. I, I don't believe this, John. I don't think you do too, but the, some of the personnel decisions and, and the guys they have on the field in certain situations, you mentioned it, you know, Mark Ingram on, Alvin Kamara off. There was another key moment that you could probably tell us about that Chris Olave wasn't on the field where they're throwing a pass. Uh, it's just like in a yeah, key pass situation. Sub, that was the subsequent play yeah. on oh, no, the, one. The, the play. But the it was on the drive before here the, before the the incomplete pass to Taysom Hill uh, on third down. This was the second down on the drive before that where the Saints are backed up in their own territory. Uh, they they send Dalton back to drop back to pass. And he he sacked on the play. The only receiver on the field was Kirk Merritt, who was on the practice squad Monday afternoon. Four hours before kickoff, he finds out that he's playing in this football game. Head scratch. And they bring him up and they put him on the field in the biggest moment of the day. And you know, no knock on Kirk Kirk Merritt. You know, the dude has worked very hard for this opportunity. He's not the player. You don't want him being your only passing option in that situation. And that's what the Saints did to themselves, and it didn't work out. Uh, later on, uh, after Ingram ran out of bounds there, they try a, it's on third and one, they try a quick slant uh, to Marquez Callaway, who has been demoted to, uh, he's like the fourth receiver on the depth chart by now, maybe fifth behind Traquan Smith. I, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to quibble about that. Uh, he's a, you, These are the guys you're going to in the highest leverage situations in the game instead of Chris Olave, instead of Rashid Shahid. Um, it, it just makes no sense to me. And that's what the Saints are choosing to do. And, you know, if you look at it that way, well, they're losing on their own terms by making these bad decisions. Yeah. And to that point, this is where I was going with that. It's like the personnel decisions are so head scratching at times in, in situations that I think people are out there speculating that the Saints might be tanking. And and John, it is a very elaborate tank when you don't pick in the first round. right? Like, <laughs> but But people are actually going there because it is so puzzling. And yeah, that says something. you know, it's it's a galaxy brain move. It's uh, some uh, fifth dimensional uh, chess uh, uh, 
the tactics. I, I don't yeah. quite understand it, but you know, maybe in a, an alternate universe, it works out, but it, it's, it's not going well here. No, it's not. It's not. And again, I don't think they're, I don't think they're taking, but man, it's just, uh, it's tough. I want to ask you about one more situation too before we we move on, and we do have some positive positive stuff we're going to get to later on in the in the program. We're going to say why fan, Saints Saints fans shouldn't just you know be done with the season at, at, during the bye week, right? There's still reasons to watch the games. We're going to tell you why here coming up. Uh, but you mentioned it earlier, John. There's nothing worse in football than the 21 yard field goal. You, kicking the field goal from inside the 10 is just it's the worst thing in football as a fan watching. It's just like, oh, you got to be freaking kidding me. Uh, but yeah. this happened to the Saints, and there was uh, this big penalty. You, you guys wrote about it on Saints Wire. It was it was third and two from the three, uh, late in the third quarter, and that situation turned into a third and seven because the Saints were fi- fouled for having twelve men on the field. Uh, so just completely avoidable. Again, you're third and two on the three. Now you're third and seven. They throw short of the sticks on that third down and end up settling for that very short field goal, which puts you up thirteen to three. And obviously, with the way the game was going. And the way that you were just, again, crawled up inside Tom Brady's head and had him again at home in his stadium in a primetime spot. Brady is just, he can't do it. He just, you could tell he was freaking yeah. out and he just didn't have it. And if the Saints go up 17 to three with that much time left in the game, forget it. It's going to be over. Uh, the field goal gave the Bucks some life there, I thought. But it's just another totally, totally avoidable situation. It seemed like the Saints couldn't, everybody's trying to take blame for it, John, right? Like at the end, like, oh no, that's my fault, Andy Dalton says. No, DA says, no, we got to button that up. It's a communication thing. I don't yeah. know, man, but something happened there, and it's just a totally avoidable penalty that screwed up potentially a game-winning score there late in the third quarter. Because I think 17-3 to at that spot, the Bucks weren't coming back from that. You know, the Saints kick another field goal, and it's over. They're not going to have enough time to come back. But So that was another aggravating sequence. If everything else played out the same way it did, um, but the Saints score a touchdown in that, in that situation. Uh, okay, now it's a tied game, and we go to overtime. Like, and, and you 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 live another day. But that's not how it played out. You know, you have this this dumb procedural penalty, and this this is something that should be happening in you know September or in in uh, in your preseason games in August. We're in mid December here. There are four games left on the schedule at this at this point. Like, what what are you guys doing in practice uh, three days a week to where this is still happening? Like. Are, are, are you practicing situational football? Are you practicing uh, red zone drills and uh, live clock situations? Like, like what are we doing here? And it's just baffling. It's disappointing. Um, and it just really encapsul- encapsulates their season, you know, in a nutshell. And you, you just have to hope that, you know, they learn something from, the, from this during the bye week, come out the other side and give uh, fans, you know, something worth tuning in for. All right. Why should fans continue tuning in after the bye week with these last four games? I know it's it's bad. We're, we've been down bad for a while. Then you lose this game to Brady and the Bucks when you had it. You had it on a silver platter, and it's it's even worse. But why should fans hold on and keep watching? We're going to tackle that question here coming up next. But first, the uh, guys from the huddle.com are going to help us set our fantasy lineups. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for Week 14. Detroit Lions quarterback Jared Goff versus the Minnesota Vikings. The former Ram has thrown multiple touchdowns in three of his last five games and has at least 20 fantasy points in consecutive outings. Back in the Week 3 meeting versus the Vikes, he threw for 277 yards, one touchdown, and a pick. Minnesota has allowed quarterbacks to average 24 fantasy points per game in 2022 as the fourth weakest defense of the position. Even Mike White and Mac Jones have exceeded that mark versus the Vikings in the last two games. With six teams on a bye, Goff is a rock-solid quarterback one. 
Carolina Panthers running back Deontay Foreman at the Seattle Seahawks. Foreman sat out of practice Wednesday with a foot injury, but he's expected to play, according to his head coach. The Panthers have fed Foreman at least 24 carries three times in the last five weeks, but he's scored just once in the last four games. Carolina returns from its bye week with Sam Darnold once again under center to face a Seattle unit that has been trampled by running backs in 2022. So we can consider 80 rushing yards and a touchdown to be a remarkably safe floor. This matchup ranks as the eighth easiest opponent for rushing yards allowed per game since week eight, and it's number four in terms of ease of scoring touchdowns on the ground by the position. Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Mack Hollins at Los Angeles Rams. His role has increased of late, but he has just one touchdown grab since week seven and has topped 10 PPR points in half of his appearances over that time frame. The Rams have given up the most receptions per game to the position in the last five weeks, and only three teams have allowed more receiving yards over that span. Hollins makes for a sound option as a flex play in deeper leagues to help cover the enlarged slate of bye teams. New England Patriots tight end Hunter Henry at Arizona Cardinals. The best match matchup of the year by a decent margin offers hope for Henry to not be a lineup anchor as he has been most of the year. He posted three catches for 63 yards and a touchdown against the Vikings in week 12, but everything else since week six has been far from memorable. Arizona has granted tight ends the most yards and catches per game since week eight as well as in 2022, and the position has found pay dirt nine times on the year. Six teams on a bye make Henry a much more palatable play. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. We're not here talking uh, playoffs, John, as we continue the show here. Uh, they're playoff odds at less than 1%. So we now have to find reasons to keep watching, right? We can't hold on to the, hey, we're still in the division race chatter, right? Because that's basically that's basically done now with this loss of the Bucks. First of all, John, how are you feeling about a bye week this late in the season, right? It's kind of brutal uh, for teams getting a bye in week 14, this close to the end of the season when, you know, the Saints... They've been kind of smoked by injuries all season long, right? Now they're going to come back to play their final four games, and they're basically out of it, right? That's kind of that kind of sucks, right? The the bye week this late, like, do they does the NFL have to do that? They kind of have to look at this. That, that's weird. I, are there always teams on a bye this late in the season? Yeah, yeah. Th- this is about the latest I've ever seen it, and it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Like, especially when you look at you look at the schedule and you see that seven games going on at once on, or in the early uh, Sunday morning slot or the early Sunday afternoon slot and then there's only two games in the afternoon yes, and then yes. you've got four teams on by and it it just it just doesn't make sense you know the schedule makers um it, it really cracks me up that <clears throat> every year you see these these glowing um, portraits in like Sports Illustrated or at the ringer or nfl.com about how um the the NFL schedule makers are it's like a, the Manhattan Project and it's all behind closed doors and they, they they take the utmost care and pride in putting this together like a Swiss watch and then they screw up and have you know teams uh, not not getting a breather until week fourteen or they'll have a team play other teams coming off of a bye like three weeks in a row or whatever it may be and it's just so careless and easily avoidable and I, I just don't understand it and it, it's it's frustrating but. You know, there's not much you, you can do about it. And you, if you're a team in the position the Saints are right now, you have to hope that you're a playoff team and that you're getting this mini buy late in this late in, in 
in the season and that it's going to give you time to kind of catch your breath, get some guys back off of IR, and then you can go in, into the uh, postseason. But unfortunately, it does not appear that's where the Saints are right now. I just wanted to make note of that. But yeah, let's, yeah. But let's let's get back to our, our question here, our question of the week, I guess we could say. What should keep Saints fans engaged for the rest of the season, John? Like, what are you watching for in the final four weeks, starting when we come out of the bye week at home against the Falcons? You know, guys, I'm, I'm looking at really closely are the you know who, players who are you know under contract for next year and young, young players who 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 is going to be a foundational piece uh, for this for this roster, who is going to be a big part of what's of what's going on. <clears throat> moving forward and guys like that you know there's two in particular i'm really excited about that that's chris olave and rashid shaheed you know these two rookie wide receivers and they have both just been a just just a breath of fresh air uh for, for the saints you know we are our frustrations with the wide receiver position were um well documented <laughs> on this podcast last year definitely and and you know, <clears throat> I know i know you hate when i do this but you know to, to go from having uh, you know, Jameis Winston throwing to a, a former uh, semi-pro lacrosse player to um, <laughs> and, and new page in uh, Patriots Super Bowl legend uh, Chris Hogan um, <laughs> to go from him to to having Chris Olave and having a player with legit four three speed and Rashid Shahid um, having those guys in the lineup is massive, and I'm really excited to see how those two continue to grow. You know, the the comparison I keep thinking about is Marshawn Lattimore and Marcus Williams uh, back in 2017, where you have these two young defensive backs who are both, you know, very young. You know, they, they were both 21-year-old uh, rookies, I believe. And to see those two players kind of uh, learn and grow and develop uh, in the same secondary with each other for over the next five years, six years, um, that was just really impressive to see. And I think we're going to be able to experience that again here at wide receiver if uh, Shahid can keep it up. Uh, right now, he's the... Um, Gosh, I think he's the wide receiver too right now. I want to say that he's run more routes than Jarvis Landry has over the last three games. Like he is someone that the Saints are finally making a very um, committed effort to getting him involved in the game plan each week. And good things tend to happen. I, I believe he leads the team in first down conversions over the last uh, two games. Um, he, he's made a number of big plays. He, he just had a career high uh, four receptions for 75 yards against uh, the Bucks. Um, he was a player in the return game as well. Uh, he honestly, he's making Deontay Hardy, uh, gosh, what's the word? Uh, expendable, expendable, I guess, in yep, free agency yep, yep. Com- coming up in the spring, uh, ha- having someone l- like that. So good for him. And that's someone that I'm really interested to see uh, over these last four games. Yeah, Shahid really, uh, he, he's a guy we've talked about a little bit because he's popped when with very limited snaps right throughout the year, John. But he was very noticeable that he had more snaps in this game. I know he did, but it's like watching it, you could feel it. It's like, oh man, Shahid is out there. They're making it more of an effort to get him the football. So that was that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I think I think the young guys, you gotta you gotta hang on to that. You gotta hang on to that over the next uh four or five weeks here. Uh another thing I think fans could watch for this week during the bye week, John, Sunday night football and Monday night football, right? The Cardinals or on the Monday night spot with the Patriots, the Chargers play Sunday night, and you have these two teams as you know probably the top two in the Sean Payton sweepstakes, right? So what should fans be rooting for on Sunday and Monday night? Yeah, root for those teams to lose. Um, <laughs> Easy um, enough. You know, every loss that the Cardinals experience, that, that the Chargers experience over these last over this last month of the season, uh, that is going to give them more incentive to try and uh, go recruit Sean Payton here in a few in a few months. And, or even a few weeks, to be to be honest, um, 
you know, you want to see those teams losing. You want to see the Cardinals, you know, fall even further than their, I believe they're four and eight right now. Uh, the Chargers are not far behind them. And you want to see those teams in the year with the losing record, consider moving on from their coaches and going in and making a splash and going after Sean Payton. And I think either of those outfits make a lot of sense for Sean Payton because they have uh, quarterbacks who, who can play in, in this league uh, and play very well. And they have quarterbacks who can play in this league and play very well. Justin Herbert is, you know, arguably a top top five, top eight passer, I, I think. Um, the, he has a lot of fans. Uh, Sean Payton is one of them. He's some, he, he is a quarterback that Sean Payton has uh, talked highly, spoken highly of in the past. Uh, Kyler Murray, I think he, he would enjoy working with, with Kyler as well. Uh, either of those teams are warm weather uh, cities. They've got strong rosters. They're, they're underperforming because of their coaching staffs. And I could totally see Sean Payton looking at that and saying, oh, yeah, that, that's where I want to go. Um, but it takes two to tango. And and you need those teams to be in kind of rough shape uh, at the end of the year so that they are compelled to reach out to Payton because it, 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 it isn't enough for him to want to go somewhere. The, the other team has to want him too. like both sides need to approach this with with from that perspective or else you get a case where it's like the Panthers who would give up the world for, for Sean Payton, uh, but he just has no interest in them and it's not going to happen. So that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, even though the saints are on by this week, if you are tuning in on Sunday night, Monday night, root against the Cardinals, pull against the chargers, hope it works out. And, and so that it can ultimately it can benefit the saints. Yeah. It's fun commentary. I think Sean Payton and, and Herbert would be a nice little, partnership right that would be feels like a fit i don't know feels like a fit the way herbert yeah. plays and the way you know sean payton yeah uh that'd be fun to watch so yeah some stuff to watch for this week some stuff to watch for uh going forward john we're going to keep showing up each week and, and telling people what they should be watching for right and i know you guys are working on saints wire to put out some superlatives right for the season stuff like most improved player, team MVP, rookie of the year. I think I know who the rookie of the year is, John. Uh, comeback player of the year. Yeah, stuff like that. So this is stuff you guys are working on, right, during the bye week. And maybe stuff we could talk about maybe on the show next week coming out of the bye. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're looking for positives wherever we can find them. And, you know, if, if, if we're taking that perspective, you know, the, the Saints are not mathematically eliminated. They have, a, I believe, half of 1% of a chance <laughs> of reaching the playoffs right now uh, per 538's uh, modeling um, so they're not mathematically eliminated. Uh, they're about as close as you can get without Steve Kornacki explaining what's going on um, <laughs> from the studio. But the, the, they, they do. They, they, I'm saying there's a chance, uh, and we'll, we'll keep watching, we'll keep talking, and uh, we're, we're, we're just going to see how this one plays out. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I think they have a, about as much of a chance to make the playoffs, John, as they did of uh, losing that game against the Bucks there at the end. So, <laughs> oh, so that's yeah. that's where we're at. But yeah, so that's that's some stuff folks can look for on Saints Wire. Uh, should definitely be checking out the, uh, John and the crew. They do a great job. Uh, and you can follow John on Twitter. His, his uh, Twitter handle is in the description of this show. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week to maybe go over some of those superlatives. Again, John, rookie of the year. That's a tough one, man. I gotta think. Hmm. I gotta yeah, think clearly, it's a Lewis kid, <laughs> yeah. uh, left yeah. guard out of Montana State. <laughs> For um, sure. <laughs> For sure. But that, he's got my that that could be a really fun exercise. We'll look at doing that next week, and we'll we'll come up with some more fun stuff on the show. The show will not die, John. We're not going out like that. We're gonna keep showing up, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> 
This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.